Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. He survived his trip to Cincinnati. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. And by not going to Cincinnati, he missed walking through a doorway that sanitized your whole body as you walked through. He's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. I want to clarify, Ben, when I said survived your trip to Cincinnati, I wasn't talking about COVID. I was talking about, have you seen how bad the Bengals are this year? Oh, man. (laughs) Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Not that they're usually all that good. And not that I can speak. I'm a Dolphins fan, right? Well, today, although they're okay this year. Well, today, we're going to talk about whether the glass is half full or, well, I don't know, maybe a quarter full. Or maybe 10% full, we'll have to see. <laughs> Plus our most recent passenger behaving badly, who we kind of empathized with a bit. We're back to, well, this is one is worse than bad. First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with the week's news. United Airlines announced late last week it lost another trillion dollars in the third quarter. Okay, maybe not really a trillion, but really $8 billion. And I mean, that number would have sounded like a huge exaggeration any other time in history. So, of course, in trading early this week, its shares plummeted. No, wait, that's not what happened. They actually rose a lot after initially falling on the earnings news. Uh, CEO Scott Kirby said, quote, the light at the end of the tunnel is now visible, even though he predicted at least another year of significant pain and business travel not returning to normal until 2024. Now, Ben, I'm not going to ask you to comment on share price movements because you're probably not allowed to do that. And I'm not I'm probably not qualified to do that. But I do want to characterize what I think is happening and ask if you agree. Basically, over the past couple of months, it seems to me like covid news, bad and good alike when we get any, any encouraging news, just isn't causing the same wild swings in demand we saw early on first after the pandemic started. And then when things seemed a bit better, then after the post-Memorial Day surge in cases and so forth, here we are in the middle of another big spike in cases, one that's been going on for the better part of a month. Yet, what's this? This past Sunday, TSA recorded its first day with at least 1 million passengers passing through security checkpoints since way back on March 16th. And this is in the middle of October. So the fact that a Sunday in the middle of October was better than any Sunday in, say, July or early August, the middle of what's usually summer travel season, is noteworthy. Now, to be clear, look, you'd still expect something like two and a half million people this past Sunday, not one million. So we're not even back to half. But my point is we're now seeing modestly positive demand trends even when there's bad COVID news. And that does indeed seem like, well, news. Am I right about that, Ben? I think it is news, Seth. I I can't resist, though, saying that the light that Scott Kirby sees at the end of the tunnel might be on the front of a freight train heading his way. (laughs) But um, despite that, I think that what the industry is really doing, Seth, now is sort of moving from mini peak to mini peak. 
meaning Labor Day, where more people travel, Thanksgiving, what are they going to do? Christmas, what are they going to do, right? And in each one of those, they see modest bits of strengthening of the fact that there are a few more people who are traveling for discretionary purposes, a few more businesses saying we'll put some people back on the road. So the industry is not out of this by any stretch. But the news, the the reality of being on an airplane is no longer a super scary thing to most people, I think. One of the things United Airlines said at this conference was that they felt that the bigger thing driving passenger demand weakness was that people just didn't have places to go where they could get things done. They pointed out, for example, that the only two countries that U.S. citizens can fly to without quarantine right now are Mexico and Brazil, right? So if you don't want to go to Mexico and Brazil, there's almost no place you can go outside the U.S. without a quarantine. And Brazil is full of COVID. I mean, well, that's, well, that's, that's, that's right. But, you, but you're not, you don't have to quarantine if you go there. <laughs> and, and so the point is, I think United's right directionally on that. I don't know if I agree with them that everybody is now comfortable being on an airplane, but I think they're right that the bigger issue is it's one thing to say I'm comfortable getting on an airplane, but it's something else to say I want to go someplace and when I get there, I can do what I want to do. Do I want to go to that wedding and be with 130 people I don't know in a reception or am I not comfortable with that yet? That really has nothing to do with whether or not you'd be comfortable taking the airplane to go to that wedding. And if with quarantines and go to New York and quarantine, or if you come from this state, you must quarantine. Those rules, I think, are what's holding travel back more than anything right now. But I do think there's an underlying sense that people are getting tired of this. People are willing to start traveling again. People believe that airlines have done the right thing around cleaning, around airflow, around requiring masks. Stories about planes turning back to the gate to kick off someone who didn't wear their mask are good for the industry because they tell customers who might be reticent to travel, they're taking this seriously and my and they do care about my health. So I think that we've I think we've got a long way to go yet, but I was encouraged by that TSA report. And I'm hopeful that we have sort of record TSA for COVID when we get around the holiday periods. I don't expect it to be anything close to last year or anything that the industry will high five about in absolute, but I think it will show that underlying strength starting to improve. Right. We can state without question that there will not be as many people traveling this Thanksgiving as last Thanksgiving because we can look at the schedules. I mean, I went into Syrium and looked at what airlines are doing. And no question, Thanksgiving, they are putting back more capacity relative to other periods. But even if every seat were filled, we wouldn't see close to the same numbers as we normally see at Thanksgiving, even with with 100 percent load factors, because there's you know, barely more than half as much uh, capacity, maybe it was closer to two thirds domestic for, you know, the, the sort of the peak Thanksgiving days, but nothing like the usual travel period. Well, uh, that brings us to our, our first listener question. Bob from Chicago writes, hello, Ben and Seth, with the recent moves of Southwest into Bush Intercontinental, 
in Houston and, and Chicago O'Hare Southwest is aggressively moving into United's key markets. Very true. Uh, this is further supported by Southwest breaking into the Hawaiian market, Denver being shared by United and Southwest. Of course, that's not new. Uh, both airlines have a strong presence in California. Absolutely. Uh, can you speculate how Scott Kirby and United will respond to this? How can United compete with Southwest or is it possible for a partnership to develop? This partnership might seem crazy prior to 2020, but Southwest is rapidly evolving now and breaking with previous norms. A partnership would benefit both sides. United can't compete with Southwest on customer service or price long term. And Southwest has very limited international presence. A partnership will spare United the inevitable fair war across its network, which Southwest is better suited to win and will give Southwest the access to United's industry-leading international network. Thank you for your time and hope to have these questions discussed on the podcast. Love the show. Sorry, Seth. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, it's because I keep begging for people to say something other than love the show. So you know, feel free to write hate the show. We'll use your question. We might purposely use your question because you say that. Well, I think Bob has a real interesting point here, although I think the likelihood of a United Southwest partnership is is close to zero. <laughs> I think uh, Southwest and United are each roughly the same size in terms of the amount of passengers they carry in the U.S. I think it would be very difficult for the government to even approve that kind of partnership um, to take two 20 percent players and say, now we're going to have a single 40 percent player in the industry. That aside, I think we don't have to speculate so much on how Scott Kirby and United will respond. They've already responded by canceling change fees. That was a direct response to Southwest because they are big in the same places that Southwest is big. Now, Southwest going into – Just to be clear, I mean that move was before specifically Bush and O'Hare. But, no, that's right. But, 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 need, but, but no, I mean your, your general point is well taken that they're wrong. They've they've long competed in the same general. No, market. that's right. And to say that Southwest wasn't big in Chicago when they own Midway or wasn't big in Houston when they own Hobby, basically, is kind of silly. They were they competed with United at a different airport at both of those right. at both of those cities. And, and Bob so, and Bob pointed out Denver and California and Hawaii, and that obviously was. I mean, these are airlines that have been going at it. Yeah, they've been going at it for a long time. And so so United's cancellation of change fees was saying to Southwest, we're not going to give you this business customer advantage anymore. We're going to be just as flexible to business customers as you have been. Plus, we can give them an upgrade to a business class seat. Plus, we can give them a lounge. Plus, we can connect them to Asia and Europe when they want to go, which you can't do, Southwest, right? And so yeah. that's what they're. That's the way they're competing. They're also being aggressive on capacity and on pricing when they have to be. Southwest is moving into Bush and into O'Hare because they can. I have a friend in the industry who talks about gates and slots and real estate in the industry as game pieces you know, in terms of how many yeah. game pieces do you have. And the reality is, is that if Southwest pre-COVID wanted to become a player in O'Hare or an Intercontinental, it's not that they would have been told you can't come here, but their ability to mount any kind of critical mass would have been really limited because of just gate accessibility. Now, when every airline just isn't flying as much, the airports are saying, hey, if you want to come, we've got room for you. And Southwest is going to is saying, we'll take our strong balance sheet. We'll take, we'll take our, our strong ability to 
fly through this COVID and emerge stronger. And we're going to not only just survive, we're going to expand in this time and we're going to move into airports that we've long wanted to serve, but haven't had the access to. And the access is there now, so we're going to take it. You heard Ted Christie in the conference from Spirit say something on a much smaller basis. Similarly, Spirit has recently gone into Orange County Airport. And what Ted Christie, the CEO at Spirit, said was that they didn't have access to Orange County before COVID because it's a very restricted airport. And now they do. And he even said, maybe it's not the perfect time to go into Orange County, but it was the time we had available. And on just a much bigger scale, that's what Southwest is doing with O'Hare and Intercontinental in Houston. I'm going to name three things that Southwest still does very differently from almost every other airline and ask you how likely you think it is that they'll ever change course on, on any of these things. Maybe rank these. This is me asking now. Question from Seth, not Bob anymore. Uh, bag fees, seat assignments, you know, perhaps for a fee and waived for A-plus members, elite members, for example – and distribution through online travel agencies, Expedia, and so forth. Three three areas where Southwest is very different. They are either unique or almost unique in all of those areas. I know Allegiant isn't in the online travel agents, for example, but along the among the major airlines, that's true. Do you think so? I, I know never is is a dirty word in the airline industry, but in the foreseeable future, do they change course on any of that? The crisis, as you said, either however you want to see it, force them or open the door for them to go into a place like O'Hare, go to a place like Miami. They might have had access there before, but they might not have done it. Does the crisis cause them to change course on any of those other three things I just mentioned? And and if you want to rank them in terms of likelihood. I would rank them in terms of likelihood as distribution number one, bag fees number two, and seating assignments number three. But I think the likelihood of all three is really, really low. I don't think they're going to change any of those differences right now. The distribution is something I think they would seriously consider changing if they mounted a more significant international push. Being largely a domestic airline, I don't think Southwest needs to change their distribution at all. Everyone knows who Southwest is. Every travel agent knows I need to go to Southwest.com for my customers to fully price shop them. I may be able to go to Expedia and see everyone else, but I got to go to Southwest.com to see what their flights and prices are to do a good job for my my customers to make sure they get the right flight and the right fare. They, they and, do have some limited uh, global distribution presence in, in uh, I, I think, Amadeus and Travelport, not Sabre, if I'm not mistaken. But but yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think that's right. You're not but gonna, if, yeah, but you're but not. If right. they if decided you're, to become yeah. a major player in Latin America. Yeah. Or do a partnership with United where they were actually selling tickets to Asia or something like that, then I think they would probably have to say this requires a different distribution strategy. But I don't see them going that direction. So I don't, while I think that's the most likely, because it wouldn't be necessarily a change in policy, it would be this new business requires this new tool. And that's a little different, which is why I, I, I would say it's number one, even though it's tiny, tiny, tiny likelihood. Yeah. I think bag fees are number two because I think United's change fee may pull enough people away from Southwest. And in a world where there's less business travel, 
fewer travelers flying, every airline competing for that smaller base, and United has changed the game and American and Delta have matched with saying, you no longer have this flexibility with Southwest. Southwest is potentially the biggest loser from that change fee battle, right? They never collected the change fees, but now they don't get the benefit of it. And one way they could potentially make up the money they lose from that is by charging for bags, because charging for bags is not a business strategy. It is a leisure strategy. Businesses if, if they charge for bags, it's not going to change the businesses who choose to fly on Southwest or not, but it will affect families traveling. So Southwest has to decide how important is that to our business versus the business travel. And they may have to rely more on that in the future than the business side because of the change fee rule. And while I don't think it's likely that they're gonna charge for bags, they're gonna be searching for how do we replace this lost business revenue? And that'll be one obvious place to consider. Although culturally, I just don't expect it to happen at all. I almost think it would require a new CEO at Southwest to do it. Yeah, it, I think Gary Kelly yeah. is so dug into we're not doing yeah. it. I, I, I agree with that, uh, that that's just right or wrong uh, a position he's taken. Yeah, and uh, the board and the boarding stuff, you know, it works for them. They've, they put all this investment at the airports with the signage and the numbers and things like that. They make a little money from some people who say, I want to be one through 15, right? The airline with no fees collects that fee at least, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I, I just don't see why they'd have to change that at all. That works for them. They have fast turn times. I don't think they would sort of, you know, do anything to complicate their operational, the operational aspect of their airline, which works very well for them. So I think that's an almost zero chance. The others might be 0.05 chance. That one's a zero chance, I think. I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> well, well, I'll see, right? <laughs> <laughs> Time next for passengers behaving badly. But first, we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company and procures more than 300 million rooms annually on behalf of their clients. Hotel Connections makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics, and global negotiated rate programs. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. That's hotelconnections.com. Well, Ben, you mentioned in the intro, last time we featured a passenger behaving badly it was actually two weeks ago. It was somebody where the, the behavior was bad, but we kind of also felt bad for the person, reported mental health issues, those kinds of things. So even though it was a scary situation, uh, you know, just, just something that uh, you didn't really want to make light of. This is nothing to make light of either, but a, a whole different story. A woman on a flight from Belfast in Northern Ireland to Edinburgh, this was an easy jet flight, gets escorted from the plane because she refuses to wear a mask. And she apologizes and just walks off nicely and everybody goes, no, that's, she wouldn't be passenger behaving badly if that happened, <laughs> right? No, instead, as she's walking off the plane, she's coughing on other passengers, like pur purposely coughing on other passengers, even though I don't think she was sick, and yelling Everybody dies. Everybody dies. You know that? 
every effing body dies, whether it's Corona or not, everybody dies. That's what she's shouting in, in a video that you can find on online. She goes on, everybody dies. That's the only thing that's real. It's like she doesn't believe in COVID, but I just believe in all kinds of other things that are uh, well-established in the world. <sighs> if that's not a passenger behaving badly, I don't know what is. Well, and you know, while she wasn't diagnosed for that event as having mental issues, she clearly does. She, yeah, right? I mean, she. Much, I mean, she, right? We're not. We're not positioned. I'm not, yeah. It's it's one thing to have a view that masks aren't safe or masks aren't needed to be safe, right? Despite the science, some people will still say it's my right to not wear a mask, and I think those people are crazy. But there are some people who say that it's another thing to say I'm going to intentionally spew my saliva on you in hopes maybe that I am infected and I give it to you. That is an evil thing to do. And this woman didn't just behave badly. I wish there were a law that would allow her to be arrested for attempted murder or something like that. I mean, it's crazy what she did. I can't imagine somebody come up to me intentionally coughing on me and saying, we all die. I would say, what's wrong with you? And I'm sure that's what everybody else on the plane said. Yeah, and passengers gave EasyJet credit, by the way, for handling it as well as they could have. But yeah, that's just, I mean, to begin with, again, here it is, what, uh, six months since the since masks were mandated on most airlines, right? Now, uh, again, we're talking about something entirely different here from somebody who simply didn't wear a mask, right? But even there, right? So, so, so as a starting point, I can understand that on, you know, I don't know, April 28th, somebody caught on an airplane and they didn't know about the mask mandate or, you know, it wasn't required when they bought their tickets or whatever. I mean, still unreasonable to not want to do something that, that keeps everybody else safe, including yourself. But okay. But then beyond that, I mean, this is this is just a whole other thing. And, uh, you know, yeah, just when you think you've uh, seen it all, we, we did not have to search too hard this week for our for the winner or the loser, as the case may be, of, of passengers behaving badly. Well, up next, the debate continues about how safe it really is to fly right now. More Airlines Confidential is next. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Back to the mailbag now. Dave from Houston writes, why don't the airlines publish more information about COVID transmission rates among passengers who fly? I've driven to New York twice and back from Houston rather than expose my elderly parents with whom I visit to the risk that I perceive from flying. I base this on medical literature documenting transmission. During the 2003 outbreak of SARS, no spread was identified among Patients who flew with one pre-symptomatic passenger on a 90-minute flight, although a second flight documented a patient. More recently, during the current pandemic, one infected passenger on a flight of 217 likely spread the disease to 16 others. While we hope the routine wearing of masks and improved air circulation will reduce transmission on flights, there has not yet been any objective evidence I am aware of that this is so. 
If the airlines want my business, they need to show me that flying with the current precautions is safe. Why have they not done studies yet to convince me? Okay, Ben, a couple points here. I mean, there have been studies. Now, you, you can quibble with the claims that have resulted from some of them. Just, just a couple of recent things. ABC News is excellent transportation unit, I would say that even if my friend Sam Sweeney wasn't the coordinating producer this, uh, <laughs> there, did, did, did a great job last week breaking the news about a study. It was by the Department of Defense using United Airlines airplanes where they actually showed uh, – I mean the results in summary were good. You can go find it on the internet. But basically uh, they, they simulated a, a sick passenger under conditions on a flight and – the results were very good. They showed a very, very low risk of transmission. Now, ABC News said, look, this is not yet peer-reviewed science, independent study by the Department of Defense, but not yet peer-reviewed science, and there were other shortcomings. This was you know, a passenger seated in a seat with, I mean, you know, mannequins and so forth, but you know, not simulating everything that could possibly happen on a flight, but they felt it was credible enough to report it, you, you know, that it wasn't just a, a PR stunt. So there was that. There was that older IATA-involved study that claimed that, that there was just like a 1 in 27 million chance of being infected. They based that on 44 known infections out of 1.2 billion people who had traveled sort of since the beginning of, of, of the pandemic on flights. Now, in that case, this is just – Again, just kind of putting balanced information out there. Uh, there was a doctor who was involved. His name is Dr. David Friedman, a U.S. infectious disease specialist who Reuters reported last week actually took issue with the way the results were pre presented. He was involved in the study and he refused to appear kind of at the press conference when Iata came out and gave those statistics. And his objection was that he felt it was bad math. He said the problem was you don't know that those – you know, most of those 1.2 billion people were never tested for COVID. So he said to say, you know, there were 44 known infections out of 1.2 billion. He said, he said the denominator was bad. That that you just you just can't say that. Now he did say, look, he felt the results were largely encouraging. He just basically felt they were exaggerated. That's my word, not him. So taking all of that into account, Ben, your response to Dave is what? Well, my response to Dave is that he is selectively looking at data. I mean, the driving from Houston to New York, he undoubtedly stayed in at least one hotel, if not several hotels. He got gas multiple times. He probably used the restroom in the shop where he got gas in the convenience store or wherever. And in those kind of cases, he exposed himself to potential virus risk much more than he would ever see on an airplane. And he also exposed himself to the risk of dying in a car accident, which is much greater than being on an airplane. So I think this is a case of sort of thinking you're following statistics when in fact you're making fairly bad decision based on statistics, to be honest. There has been no, that I know of, there has not been a documented case of people getting the virus from being on an airplane. We know people with the virus have flown on an airplane. 
We know a woman who had the virus died on an airplane recently, but she didn't get the virus from being on the airplane. She died while she was on the airplane. So the the specific thing he says he's worried about, that he will be transmitted the virus because he is on an airplane, that is, there is no evidence that that has even happened yet. So when you take those stats with the DOD study, with the risks of car driving, with the risks of exposure in the 7-Eleven where you get your gas or in the hotel where you stay or things like that, I think he kind of made a kind of not a great decision in terms of his risk. And I think he he actually found a riskier way to go see his parents than he just got on an airplane and three hours later got off in New York. What do you think? Am I am I being too much of a sycophant for the industry? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, like I said, I think reasonable people can disagree about the math. Right? And I think that doctor sounded like a fair-minded person who said, well, look, it, it's fine to – Basically, you didn't you didn't have to use the fuzzy math to say that it's rather safe to travel, and that that was his his dispute. But no, I, I uh, agree that again, you have to compare that risk with all of the other risks that you named, and that I personally, and I've told people in my life this that right, if you're driving a really long distance to avoid the risk of contracting COVID on on a plane, then you're you're probably just doing a, a poor job of assessing risk. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us, questions at airlinesconfidential.com, or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Finer Wine is next, but first we want to thank Seabury Capital. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seabury, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it is time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether the complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. I sure do. Anne of Burlington, North Carolina, is complaining about Allegiant. Anne writes, the pilot was horrible. He had a great takeoff. Then we get in the air and there was bad turbulence for a while. I started praying and my friend was praying. People lifted the window to see what was going on outside. Nothing but sun and clouds. Descending was bad. My stomach could feel it. And I also heard one of my neighbors saying, oh God. Then we hit the runway super hard and my other neighbor looked terrified as she grabbed onto the seat. The lady behind me said, thank you, Jesus. Super scary, and that was the one day I didn't take my anxiety medicine because it was only an hour and a half flight. The aisle was nice and roomy. <laughs> well, at least something went well. <laughs> and, and, and Anne might be wrong about everything because the one thing nobody says about a legion is that it's nice and roomy, right? So, I know. But, right. but I don't want to put those words in your mouth. But going back to the, the other point uh, – I, well, I don't even I don't even know where to go with this. Battle. Well, you, tell me. I, you know, this this one is I'm totally siding with the airline. This is the wine of wines, I think, to, to blame the pilot for turbulence 
is really, really a difficult thing. Ask any pilot. They don't like turbulence any more than you do. And what Anne probably doesn't understand is on a sunny day, you're more likely to have turbulence than on a cloudy day. Let me explain why. Turbulence comes from uneven air pressure, you know, and moving in and out of different air pressure, which comes largely, not only, but largely from the way heat reflects from the ground. So when it's sunny and the, and the heat is reflecting from water and from roads and from grass, it's reflecting at all different rates and that makes a very turbulent sky. Compare that to a cloudy day when there's not that much reflection of the sun because the cloud is like a blanket over it and it actually can be quite smooth. I have flown small airplanes. Any pilot of small airplanes knows that a clear day is likely to be a much bumpier day than a cloudy day. And Anne just sort of conflated, it's a clear day so I must have a bad pilot because it's bumpy, when in fact, if she understood basic weather, she would know it's a clear day. This pilot did a great job getting us down safely. That's my co-host, Captain Ben Baldanza. He, <laughs> he, he is a pilot. I mean, it's true. He, yeah, I mean, he's never piloted. I'm sure there flight, are many but... listeners who are going to correct at least something I said. <laughs> <laughs> but but the larger point, well, t- meteorologist Ben Baldanza, all the right. Okay, he's not that. Let the getting carried away on final approach now that's trusted <laughs> for airlines confidential this week please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat backs and trade tables are in their upright and locked positions and remember we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website from the airlines confidential studios i'm seth kaplan and i'm ben baldanza talk to you soon The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.